We all face a choice. When the joy and promise and possibility has faded, peace is scattered, life drained, hope lost. Do you walk away, scrap it, or do you rebuild? When I was in seventh grade, the church started a private school. The year that I graduated from there, there was a, a massive exodus of people, um, huge church scandal. Everything that I had associated with truth, everything that I associated with Jesus was basically pulled out from underneath me. We've been on a cancer journey as a family for a long time. Before I was 10, before I really knew who I was, both of my parents were gone. I kind of felt like there was something I did I felt like I was at fault. Maybe if I had been better, or maybe if I was different, we would have had a different result. I was born during um, our civil war in Cambodia, and my parents had to flee the communist. Everywhere we went, people begged my parents to get rid of me. You know, people were like, she'll make noise, she'll let the soldiers come and they'll be able to find us. People would um, tell my parents that they needed to leave me on the side of the road. See, there are people who think you only get one good run. That what's broken isn't worth repairing. But underneath years of dirt, wear and neglect, there is possibility to uncover. It's something that's worth doing anything for. Giving everything. My sense of identity was wrapped up mostly in being a musician. Yeah, I wanted to be famous. I wanted to matter. We got a band and I got to play a lot of really fun stages with a lot of really great people. I guess we were probably on track to become something bigger than we were. I was willing to, to say, tell me, tell me who to be, tell me how to dress, tell me what to write, tell me who to hang out with. But as I got further and further along the path of pursuing what I thought I wanted, I got unhappier and unhappier with the result. We got a refugee status, and then we came over here to America. There were a lot of people who really wanted me to know that I was an outsider. So I go from not being wanted in the village to now being just a brown, smelly girl in class. And I got made fun of every single day. Once I became an adult, if I saw anyone getting bullied, I felt like I had to be their superhero. One of these situations happened and I got arrested. There was just so much anger from that little girl that was just still inside of me. About six years ago, my sister invited us to church. I learned about the God that my sister loved and who she swore loved me. The messages were just like somebody just talking straight to my heart, my mixed up, guarded heart. It started to tear down some of the walls that I had. My sister lost her battle with breast cancer this past Saturday. She wanted me to see what God saw in me. She just reminded me that God loved me. 
we don't realize that you have to break down before you can rebuild. Strip away the old and broken. Clean and fix and recondition, finding life among the decay. And piece by piece, all of the work and sacrifice, sweat and devotion, give way to hope. Because this thing they told you was too far gone, not worth the time, is slowly coming back to life. When I left the band, I started to realize how much of my sense of worth and identity was wrapped up in my relationship with people that I thought were important or famous. What do you do when all those externals go away? You have to figure out what it is to find strength in Jesus. As much as I knew textbook Jesus growing up in church, um, the Jesus that knows all the stuff, all of the history, all of the the broken parts and doesn't, doesn't judge and still shows grace is a, is a much different Jesus than textbook Jesus. Even after you know who Jesus is, even after you follow Jesus, you still don't feel worthy of his love. And I had a long, hard road with that. I'm a refugee. That's been my identity for so long. I feel like, I feel like Jesus was the first person that said, you're so welcome. Everything about you, I welcome. And I want you just the way you are. That is what I know now, that God, loves me, that he cares for me. I know that he's not gonna leave me. I know that it's okay to cry, it's okay to scream, it's okay to pray to him about what's going on, because he's the only one who can truly handle it. You know, I think every, uh one of us, or there are many of us that wish that those last lines that you just heard in that video, they could feel true for us. I mean, to be able to say, the Jesus that knows all of my history, all of my broken parts and doesn't judge, to be able to say that the Jesus that knows all about me and still serves me grace is a much different Jesus than maybe the textbook Jesus that I heard about growing up. Or to be able to say this, you know, I feel Jesus was the first person that said, you are so welcome. I mean, everything about you, I welcome, and I want you just the way you are. Or even to be able to say, this is what I know now. God loves me, he cares for me, and I know he's not going to leave me. See, for so many of us, I mean, like, we wish that we felt that kind of emotion about a relationship with Jesus, but for so many of us, I mean, that's like so far from what we feel about when we think about God or Jesus or, or faith. For, for many of us, 
Our version of Jesus is like nothing like that. For many of us, our feeling of God and Jesus has really like nothing to do with the feeling of grace and love and forgiveness. And here's the thing we want you to understand. If your version of Jesus or God or Christianity is nothing like what you just heard about in that video, like we are so honored to have you celebrate Easter with us today because while many of you may even like know the story of Easter, that it's all about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, like I'm not sure that most of us understand why it's like a really big deal. Or even more importantly that, why it matters to each one of us so personally. So today we basically have one simple goal. We want to help you understand why Easter matters, not just in some kind of holiday celebrating kind of way, but in a real up close and personal kind of way. So to help us understand in a personal kind of way, here's kind of like the first thing that we think you need to understand, and that is this. A lot of people, they think that Christianity is based on like a belief system, and here's the reality, it's not. Christianity is based on an event that happened like 2,000 years ago. So the movement of Christianity, it did not start with like a set of creeds or doctrines that people thought, well, those are really, really good. So they decided, well, let's create a religion based upon those doctrines or creeds. No, this movement that we know as Christianity, it started when Jesus, who claimed that he was God, was crucified on the cross because he made the claim that he was God. And then three days later, he rose again. So it's pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. A person predicts their death and their resurrection, and they pull it off, and then was seen in person by hundreds of people at different times over like a 40-day period. Now, when you really think about that, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. And that's really great. But here's the thing. Why does that matter to us personally? Because see, the truth is, I mean, like, there's a lot of things that happen in history that we look back on, and they aren't really helpful to us now. So how does an event that happened like 2,000 years ago make a difference to us today? And the answer is simply because that it really resolves, like, one of the biggest issues that every one of us we face in our life. See, the truth is, whether you're a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower on whatever campus you're on this morning, here's the thing that we know. What each of those people in the video expressed is really not the feelings that most of us have about God or Jesus or our our faith when it comes to experiencing his grace and his forgiveness and his love. In fact, the main emotion that most of us struggle with or the main issue that we struggle with is this issue right here. It's called guilt. And guilt is the awareness that I didn't measure up to a standard. See, guilt is that emotion that I carry with me oftentimes throughout my day or my week where I know I didn't measure up to a standard of some kind. And then guilt produces shame. And and oftentimes that shame is because I didn't even live up to my own standard. Like, like you said that you would be the kind of person who did that and, and then you didn't do that. Or you said the person, you, you would never do that and then you ended up doing it. See, your standard for your life may be completely different for my, than my standard for my life. But we all have a personal standard for how we think a person should live and conduct themselves. And then when we don't live that way, what it does, it oftentimes creates this guilt and this shame that we carry around in our life. In fact, this whole thing of guilt is the reason why some of you like dropped out of church or why you never fully embrace faith. 
Because like from your vantage point or the way it was kind of explained to you, faith does nothing more than create guilt and shame in your life. And you're thinking, I don't need any more of that. There's just like no point in coming to church just to hear how bad I am and how bad I'm messing up because I already feel enough guilt and shame because I can't even live up to my own standard, much less God's standard. But the reality is that's not the point of faith and that's not the point of Christianity. In fact, what you just heard in those testimonies in that video, if you really stop the last part, the last three statements each one of them made, it was not feelings of mo- or emotions of guilt and shame, was it? No, it was feelings and emotions of people who had experienced God's amazing grace. See, the truth is, When we are experiencing guilt and shame, here's the thing you need to understand. Grace is what we crave most when our guilt gets exposed. Grace is what we crave most when our guilt is exposed. I mean, think about it this way. I mean, you come home late and your parents are sitting at the table and they got all the stuff on the table. They've got all the evidence and they found it in your room and, and, and they know it's yours and you know it's yours and there's no excuse. There's no loophole. I mean, there's no pointing at it saying, well, I don't know where that came from or I don't know anything about that. I mean, it's like you are stuck. And in that moment, you're thinking about all the things that they could take away from you and all the things that they should take away from you. And in that moment, there's something else you're thinking or feeling or wanting. What you crave most is this thing called grace. And maybe you didn't even know the word when you were in high school and got busted by your parents or in middle school and got busted by your parents or in college and got busted by your parents. But grace is what you were wishing for when your guilt was exposed. Or you come home late and your wife is waiting up, or you come home late and your husband's waiting up, or you come home late and your kids are waiting up, or maybe it's a Monday and your boss walks in and sits down and and just lays it all out in front of you, and you realize there is no excuse. I mean, there's no point in making any kind of excuse or trying to figure out some kind of loophole. I mean, there's like nobody else to blame. The evidence is all in front of you. And in that moment, while you may not realize that there's something that you're wanting, what you're craving in that moment is this thing called grace. In that moment, you're looking for someone to give something to you or extend something to you that you know you don't deserve. You're looking for what each person in the video that you just watched discovered and experienced this grace see grace is what we crave whenever we feel guilt whenever we feel shame and here's the thing about it when we're on the receiving end of grace it is extraordinarily refreshing but sometimes grace when it's required of us i mean it can be extraordinarily disturbing as well but here's the thing if you grew up in church and and you've heard this thing of grace kind of thrown around, or maybe you've kind of heard other people talk about this thing called grace, and maybe you've never heard a definition. What we want to do this morning as we begin our conversation is we want to give you a definition of what we mean when we talk about grace so that all of us are on the same page as we're going through this conversation. So here's what grace is. Grace is the unexpected, unearned, and undeserved favor 
of God. That's grace. Grace is the unexpected, unearned, and undeserved favor of God. See, grace is what makes the event of Easter so significant. Like, Easter is God's definitive declaration to you and to me that no matter how badly you've messed things up or how badly I've messed things up, no matter how far away we are from God or no matter how far we've fallen, like below, not just his standard, but even our own standard, God's gift of grace It's freely available to you, and it's freely available to me. And it's that grace, as you begin to lean into it and understand it, it's that grace that God freely gives us that gives us the power to change. And it's that grace that gives us the confidence to know that we can put our head on our pillow every night and be sure that we are loved by our Heavenly Father in heaven. And folks, it's that grace that removes all of our guilt and all of our shame, not just for a moment in time, but for forever. Now to help you understand that kind of grace and how you experience that and how you discover that, just like you saw in the testimony of the people in the video, we want to spend a moment this morning just to help you understand this idea in the simplest and clearest way that we possibly know how. And to do that, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that's very linear and very logical. And it's found in Romans chapter 3. So if you want to read along in your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Or maybe some of you want to go there on your phone because I know a lot of you use your your, uh, phone for your Bible. That's a great thing. Or we're going to put it on the screen right here and you can follow along as well. But in this passage we're going to look at, the Apostle Paul, he explains the significance of Easter and how grace is a gift from God that frees us from guilt and shame. And as we start reading, it might seem a little bit complicated because there's several theological terms in this passage, but we're going to break it down so that everybody, we all can understand it very, very clearly. So here's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, and let's just look at this word law here for just a moment and explain what that means. When the Apostle Paul is referring to the law, he's referring to the law of Moses. And the law of Moses was the law that God gave Moses to share with the people of Israel as they were first forming their nation. And the law that God gave Moses was like God's baseline standard or his minimum requirement for how to live well. In fact, you're familiar with part of that law. You call it the Ten Commandments. There's many more laws that God and commands that God gave the nation of Israel, but you're kind of familiar with like don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't murder. All of those are part of God's law. And so the law was the basics that the children of Israel, the Jewish people, had lived by for centuries. And so the Apostle Paul, he comes back to this group of people, and he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. And when he makes that statement, the people reading this, they understand that means it's for everybody. Because everybody was supposed to live by that law. And then he goes on. He says, so that, and these two words right here, basically he's setting us up to tell us why God gave us the law to begin with. He's about to give us the purpose of the law. Here's what he says. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Now, all of a sudden, some of you have just been triggered, and you're going back to your church days, because that sounds pretty scary and pretty judgmental, doesn't it? 
And you're thinking, what does this have to do with grace? I mean, like, how does this tie in to me experiencing and understanding God's grace at a much greater level in my life? How does that do that? Well, basically what the Apostle Paul is saying in this verse right here is he says the whole point of the law was to show every one of us that we are not as good as we think we are. Now, some of you already got there because the laws help you understand that. But he said, really, the law was there to say, hey, there is some junk, there is some stuff rattling around inside of you that shouldn't be there because we have all sinned, and that makes us sinners. Now, if you're wondering why God would give us this law, the reality is he gave us this law because he needed to. See, the truth is, while most of us kind of like mask our shame and our guilt from others, we kind of figure out a system to mask our guilt and shame, and we have all these masks that we wear. When it comes to God, what most of us have done, and God knows this, and so he had the Apostle Paul write this passage to help us deal with this. He knows that most of us, throughout our life, we develop our own personal formula for how we're going to relate to God so that we're good enough for everything to work out in our minds in the end with God. So most of us, we kind of come up with this formula, how if I do this and I do this and I do this, then in the end, I'm going to be right with God. So God gave the law to silence our delusion to, that somehow that we're okay with God, that we can make up some way or some kind of formula that we're okay with God, and to make it clear that we've got some real ugly stuff going on in our hearts. So the Apostle Paul, he continues. He says, therefore, because of that, you need to understand, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious or aware of sin. Now, really, here's kind of the best way to explain what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is saying, listen, the law is like this 360-degree mirror for our heart. It's kind of like God's way of making us aware of just how sinful we really are. And suddenly what happens is when we compare ourselves to God's standard, I'm mean, like, there's no more of this good talk. Like, I'm pretty good. I'll get this thing worked out. He's basically saying, no, we get silenced really quickly because when we look at God's standard, we're going, we can't even keep the minimal, the basic requirements. I mean, of like the Ten Commandments. And so we begin to realize, listen, things between us and God, there's just this big gap. And we're not as good with God as we thought we were. And so the question becomes, well, how do we go from here to there? I mean, like, after all, many of us are saying, well, I can't change me. I've tried, and, and I know things aren't right between me and God. I mean, the law has helped me already figure that out. So what is the solution? Well, this is where the good news begins. Here's what he says. But now, a righteousness. Now, this word righteousness here is so important for you to understand. And, and you're going to see this, if you read Scripture or the Bible, you're, you're going to see this word throughout, especially the New Testament. So what does this word mean? In the Bible, the word righteousness means a right standing with God. That's what it means. The word righteousness means a right standing with God. Now, here's the thing. Most of you know what it's like to be in a right standing with somebody, don't you? When you're in a right standing with somebody, it means there's no junk, there's no weirdness, there's no hiding out with each other. Like when you are together, everything is fine. 
Like, when you're together, I mean, just truthful with each other, there's nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. And the Apostle Paul, what he's saying is, I want you to know that you can have that kind of relationship with God. And so the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage, he's saying, listen, I want to talk to you about what it means to have a right standing with God. I want to talk to you about the kind of relationship that you can have with God that even when you're not perfect, you can know in your heart that at any point in time, you can come to God and God will say, everything is right with us. We're good. And you can do life going, I don't have to dodge God because I'm in right standing with God. And here's the thing I know. I have never met a person that did not want to go through life knowing they were in a right standing with God. So the Apostle Paul says, I want to tell you how to do that. I want to tell you how to get that in your life. Here's what he says. But now a righteousness, so a right standing with God, how do we get it? He says, well, now a righteousness from God, notice that a right standing with God comes from God, it's apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testified. Now, th this statement right here, th this is huge for some of you. For some of you, it's going to completely change the way that you view a relationship with God. For many of you, this could be the verse that just helps to remove all the guilt and the shame from your life. Because, see, this can be life-changing, and here's why. For many of you, the message that you have heard your entire life is that in order to have a right standing with God, you had to earn it. You had to live up to it. You had to perform for it. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not how it happens. That's not how it works. Because if you really stop and think about it, having a right standing with God, performing at the standard that God calls us to, I mean, it's basically impossible. And you know how frustrating it is because many of you tried. So what he comes along and he says, listen, a right standing with God it doesn't come from you, it comes from God. It's a gift from God. And then he goes on and he says, it's a part from the law, which means you don't have to perform or you don't have to earn a right standing with God. Like, you don't do a bunch of stuff to get God to say, okay, you did enough good things, you kept enough of these laws, so now I'm going to give you a right standing with me. He's saying, listen, it's apart from the law, which means it's not about keeping the Ten Commandments or it's not about keeping any kind of commandments or a whole system of, of process that says, if you do good, then I'm going to accept you, and if you don't do good, then I won't accept you. Paul's saying, that's not how God works. In fact, he said, he gave the law to prove to us that we couldn't earn it. So that's why he put this plan in place so long ago that we celebrated Easter, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, to take care of your sin problem. And the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, and by the way, this has been the message of the Old Testament and the early church apostles from the very beginning. And then he goes on, verse 22. He says, this righteousness from God, literally this right standing that we get from God how do we get it? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So the question becomes like, why do I have to put my faith in Jesus Christ? Why does it come through faith? Why? 
But here's why. Because Jesus did something that you and I could not do. Jesus kept the law of God perfectly. Jesus met God's standard. He lived on this earth, and he perfectly kept the law of God. And now what he's saying is this. It comes to us through faith. And what he's basically saying is, we all now have the opportunity by putting our faith in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, literally, you could think of it this way, to swap places with Jesus. See, when we choose to put our faith in him, to give us a right standing with God, then what happens is Jesus gives us his righteousness and he takes from us our unrighteousness and he puts it on himself. That's why he went to the cross to pay for our unrighteousness. And when you really stop and think about it, that is what makes the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ so personal. It was a very personal act where Jesus said, I will take your unrighteousness, put it on myself, go to the cross, pay for that sin debt, and then I will place your, or I will place my righteousness on you. Listen, in dying on the cross, Jesus was paying the debt that we had with God because of all the sins that we had committed. Literally, on the cross, he was taking my place, he was taking your place, and in rising again, he proved that that sin debt was paid, that our sin was atoned for, and that death had been defeated. So that's why the Apostle Paul tells us, he says, a right standing, this righteousness, a right standing from God, it comes through faith in Christ when we believe what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross was really for you and I to pay for our sin debt. But you know what? Here's even the better part. Because some of you are sitting there going, yeah, I get that, that's good, but I, I don't think it for, it's for me. Listen, God offers this gift to how many people? Everybody on every campus, say it with me. He offers it to how many people? To all. All who are willing to believe. And what are you believing? That what Jesus did on the cross took care of all the sin that you've ever done in your past or ever will do in your future. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, this is for all who believe. This is not just for certain people or certain religions or certain cultures. Like, this gift is offered to all. Everybody is invited to receive this gift. Everybody is included, and everybody gets a relationship with God the very same way through grace. But some of you, you're still sitting there, and, and you're just kind of thinking this. But if you really knew me, like, if you knew what was going on inside of me, I mean, if you knew my thoughts, my jealousy, my lust, you know, my inconsistency, my hatred, like, if you could hear the imaginary conversations that I have with people, like, if you could hear what I would like to say to people if I just had the courage, or if you could hear what I said about that person when they weren't around, I just don't think God could forgive me and, and make everything okay with him just by forgiving me. But the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't need to worry. That's exactly how it happens. It's by faith to all who believe we can have his forgiveness because of his grace. And then he helps us understand that no matter who you are, what you've done, he goes, listen, everybody is on the same playing field. We, we all need a right standing with God, and, and we all get it the same way. In fact, this is what he says. He goes on and he says, verse 23, there is no difference. Literally, 
you look at anybody sitting around you in the room, anybody you walk past on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, any day of the week, he says, there, there's no difference. And here's why he says there's no difference. He says there's no difference for, here's our word again, all, that means everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Literally, everybody has fallen short of keeping even the baseline standard of God. All of us, which means there are no exceptions. We're all in the same boat. And, and you know, when you think about it that way, I mean, that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Verse 24. He says, there is no difference for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's the good news. And are justified. Let me define this word justified for you. The word justified, it means just as if I had never sinned. You might want to write that down. And are justified. In other words, it's made, I'm made as just as if I had never sinned. So he says, all of us fall short of the glory of God. However, we are justified. How does that happen? By earning it? No, no, no. Freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Which means this. The message of Easter is God declaring to you and to me, listen, I want a relationship with you so badly that I'm not willing to let the sins keep me apart from you. So I'm willing to send my son, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt for all of your sin, and you can have a right standing with me again, and it's not because you earned it, and it's not because you deserved it. I'm giving you this freely, notice he says, freely by his grace. I'm giving you this freely by my grace through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And just to remind you what we mean when we talk about this thing called grace, in fact, we're, we're going to start a new sermon series. It's going to be four weeks of it, talking about this, this thing called grace even more. We're entitled to wake up. I encourage you to come back for the next four weeks because we're going to talk about how do you live in God's room of grace in a very practical way every day instead of trying to live in this room of self-improvement that just continues to pack more guilt and shame in our lives because we never get where we want to go and never improve at the level we want to improve. How do you move in that? Well, we're going to talk about that for the next few weeks, and, and we're going to build on this whole idea of God's grace in our life on a daily basis. But just to remind you, here's what we mean when we talk about God's grace. Grace is the unexpected, unearned, and undeserved favor of God. It's the favor of God. Grace is the favor of God that sets me right with God, not because of what I did, but because of what he did for me and what he did for you through his death and his resurrection on the cross. See, when you really begin to experience God's grace, you begin to understand that grace is like the most powerful thing that you can ever experience in life. Like grace is what puts you in a right standing with God and grace, it always is what has the power to change you from the inside out. Not self-improvement, but grace. Because see, here's what grace does. Grace brings God favor to you and, and you receive God's forgiveness and, and you become part of God's family. And when you begin to realize that you're part of his family, that you're his son or his daughter and that you are forgiven, then it frees you from all the guilt and the shame that you've just carried with you for all of your life. That's what grace does. It frees you from guilt and shame. 
And then some of you are going, yeah, but what about my sin? Well, grace doesn't necessarily just let us get by with sin. What grace does is it causes us to acknowledge like how ugly and destructive our sin is. But it says, here's how ugly and destructive your sin is, but I'm choosing not to condemn you. Instead, grace chooses to give us favor with God. Grace says, I know everything about you, and I welcome you just the way you are, every part of you. And just like that girl said that statement in the video, that's what grace looks like. That's what God's grace looks like to you. And when you experience God's grace, it becomes so personal. His death and his resurrection becomes very, very personal because it reminds us of God's favor. And you know what the irony of this whole Easter celebration thing is? Is that many of us, we've just spent our whole life just running from or resisting God because here's what would happen. Whenever something bad would happen in our life, we, we thought it was God trying to punish us for what we've done or we thought it was God trying to control us for how we've lived in the past. When in reality, God has been doing the exact opposite of that. He has been offering the thing that we have craved the most all along. Throughout our life, and he, and he began declaring that to us in just the most powerful way through his death and his resurrection on the cross, God has been extending to us his grace saying, listen, you want a relationship with me? You want the power to change in your life? Like, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform for it. I'm going to give it to you freely. Just put your faith in Jesus Christ and believe that he's already taken care of your sin debt on the cross. And allow me to grace you with forgiveness. So today, maybe for some of you, for the very first time in your life, you're beginning to understand why the death and the resurrection of Jesus is so significant, but also why it's so personal and how it can be so personal. See, it's personal that because of the cross, you don't have to carry your guilt and your shame anymore. It's been forgiven. You, you don't have to be frustrated because you can't fix you. Because see, grace gives you the power to change. And most of all, you don't have to wonder for a moment what God thinks about you or whether you're alienated from God because you, you can know Beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you receive God's forgiveness, if you allow him to grace you with his forgiveness, that you can have a right standing with him because he will justify you freely through his grace. See, that's the message of Easter, that you can be forgiven and that you can be free of all your sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit, and it's all because of grace. There's the thing you need to understand. Just because grace is free to you doesn't mean it's free. S somebody had to pay. And, and sometimes when we talk about grace, you, it's like, well, I'm just getting off the hook and that doesn't feel right. No, no, no. Grace, it came with like a really steep price. It cost Jesus his life. I mean, like he bled and he died on the cross to open the door wide open for all of us to enter into a relationship with God. Please understand, grace was very costly, just not to us. 
And it's that grace that was so costly that frees us from the guilt and the shame that so many of us have carried with us for all of our lives. So in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And, and if today kind of the light came on, and for whatever reason it like clicked with you, and now for the very first time you understand that yes, I am a sinner and I am in need of a savior and there's no way for you to be able to earn your way into God's favor, but you have this incredible gift in front of you, God freely offering to you his favor, his love, his forgiveness because of his grace. If that's you today on any of our campuses, I, I want to encourage you to take this step of faith and believe, believe what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. See, the Apostle Paul, he says, listen, this righteousness, this right standing with God, it comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe that what Jesus Christ did for them in the cross was enough to cover all their sin debt for all time. And for many of you, Right now is your opportunity to believe. Now, right now is your opportunity to embrace grace, not as some kind of ideal or some kind of concept out there, but to experience it up close and personal. So in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and, and there's nothing magical or special about these words. It's just we want to help you express to God your desire to experience his grace and forgiveness personally today so you can have the same kind of testimony that you heard a little bit earlier, that Jesus was the first to say, I'll never leave you. You heard him say it, I'll never leave you, I'll, I'll never forsake you, I, I, I welcome you, all of you, just the way you are. I want all of you. That even though Jesus knows all of your brokenness and all of your history and all of your past, he still offers you his grace. And after we pray and you receive that grace, that gift of grace from God, the band's going to come out and, and they're going to lead us in a song that just will help you lean even more into God's amazing grace. And if you would want to talk to someone, there will be pastors on each of our campuses at the front or out in the lobby area. I'd love to talk with you to help you understand because we want you to understand that God loves you. And because of his love, he offers grace. And through that grace, if we receive it, we can experience his forgiveness and all of our shame and our guilt can be removed forever. So would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you that this Easter celebration, it's just not, it's just not a celebration of a holiday. It's the reminder of something very up close and personal to all of us and for all of us. And God, for many of us, we've lived our whole life struggling with faith and Christianity and even you, God, because we thought we had to earn your favor. We had to earn a right standing with you. And, and Easter is your definitive declaration of your love and your grace, and your forgiveness to us. So God, in these next few moments, I, I pray that you help 
so many people who need to live in your grace. They need, they need to move today from the room of self-improvement into the room of grace. That they will just say, God, and if this is you, just pray in your heart what I say out loud. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for making me aware today that you love me more than I could ever imagine and that you sent Jesus Christ to declare how great your love is. And I thank you that I don't have to try to earn a right standing with you, but that you will give it to me freely. And so right now, I receive through grace your gift of forgiveness. I believe that what you did on the cross, Jesus, was to pay for all of my sin of all time, everything I've ever done in the past, everything I might do in the future. Thank you that I don't have to live with shame and guilt anymore. But in your sight, I am justified. Because of what Jesus did for me, it's just as if I've never sinned before you. What an amazing gift of grace, God. Thank you for that. And God, I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to learn how to live in this room of grace instead of keep going back into that room of self-improvement that's frustrating and God, I, I want to know how to be a person who lives in your grace. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that I have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. You've taken care of all of it. In Jesus' name, I give you thanks. Amen.